Now, if you have your Bibles open, uh, where my task today, Dave's asked me to just sum up the book of Acts, its abiding relevance. We're going to start in chapter 24 of Luke. Remember, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. So if you go back to page 1,645, the last chapter of Acts is where, of Luke is where we're going to start. Now, we started this series on Acts back on the 5th of February. Remember our weekend in? Uh, and that was 19 sermons ago, and today is the 20th sermon. If you figure that a sermon is about 20 to 25 minutes, that means we've spent seven, between seven and eight hours thinking about this book. And so today we're going to look at its abiding message. So please join with me as I pray. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Uh, We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all our hearts and minds will now and always be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, My sleeping pattern is that we go to bed fairly early and I generally, as soon as we go to sleep or just before we go to sleep, I put my transistor in my ear and listen to the radio pretty much all through the night. I got into a pattern of waking up at about 2 o'clock and the the radio announcer had a mystery word at 2 o'clock. He's no longer on, but I still wake up at 2 o'clock. And the mystery word, I'd wake up and listen to the mystery word, I'd get the mystery word and then, or hear someone get the mystery word and then I'd go back to sleep. Uh, This particular night, here were the hints given to the listening audience. It's a small word. It's a connective conjunction. It's a very common word. It begins with a letter A. It's in the expression fish and chips, shoes and socks, husband and wife, ladies and gentlemen. Well, of course, it's the word and, a small word, a connective word, a conjunction, starting with a letter A, and. If you look at Luke 24... It is a vitally important word, and remember Luke doesn't use words accidentally. Look at Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, where Luke provides this brilliant summary of volume one, his gospel, and the book of Acts, volume two. Remember, Luke is the author of both. Here, in verse 46, Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day... Now, that is a very good summary of the Gospel of Luke, the Messiah's living, suffering, dying, and rising. And, verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The and there means that it is as much the purpose of God that verse 47 should be fulfilled as that verse 46 should be fulfilled. Now, we say verse 46, of course, is absolutely central to the purpose of God. It's about the coming, the living, dying, rising of Jesus. Without that, we've got no gospel. But it is as much the purpose of God and that that gospel should go from Jerusalem and go out to the ends of the earth. It is central to the purpose of God that his gospel should achieve its purpose and that the world should hear about what Jesus has done. Now flip over, if you would, to Acts chapter 1 and you'll see how this bridges in to volume 2 of Luke's work where in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples. This is on page 1690. 
He says, but you, the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we see that this task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is central to the purpose of God, is actually a spirit-empowered task. And where to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? So what is the book of Acts all about? I've said before, you know that Luke is a parent because when he says something important, he says it three times, as if to underline it to the kids. And three times, Luke underlines, and Karen read it in our readings, the unstoppability of the gospel. Let's have a look at the first of these in chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In chapter 6 on page 1699, we'll just briefly look at this. What is happening is that there is internal dissension in the church. There are a group of widows from a Hebrew background and a group of widows from a Greek-speaking background. And the Greek-speaking widows are complaining that they are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of welfare. Now, if you look at verse 2, the word is complained. It's a lovely Greek word. The word is gongousmos. They were gongousmosi. And they were complaining that they were being overlooked and the Hebrew widows were being favoured. Now, look at what the apostles do. They act swiftly and openly, verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to serve on tables. The ministry of tables is important, but it is not the best for the apostles. And so they suggest in verse 3 that they have an election and they choose representatives to look over after the distribution of welfare. Now, you'd normally expect, well, perhaps seven. In seven, you might get five Hebrews and two Greeks or four Hebrews and three Greeks. But look at the result of the election. The result of the election in verse 5 is that you get seven men chosen from a Greek-speaking background. They are Greek-speaking names. And so that there would be no vestige of discrimination you can be sure that there will be an equal distribution by the election of seven men of a Greek-speaking background. Now, what is the result of this? Verse 7 tells you. Underline that. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word spread. And not only did it spread, but it penetrated deeply into the priesthood in Jerusalem. So here is a controversy, here is an internal dissension, uh, handled openly, handled in a godly way, handled with a concern for unity, and when it is, the word of God spread. Now come with me to page 1712, which is chapter 12, and here the political opportunist Herod, he has James put to death, he has Peter put in prison, Peter is miraculously released. Herod is struck down and eaten by worms and dies. These are dark days. The political opportunist, surely he will triumph. No, Herod is struck down and he's eaten by worms and died. And look at verse 24. Luke sums up in a very deliberate way, but the word of God wasn't struck down. It continued to spread and flourish. And Luke deliberately uses exactly the same word he used in chapter 6, verse 7. It is that the word of God increased, the word of God was multiplied. It is the same word as the lilies of the field. Jesus said, they will grow. 
And as the mustard seed, it will grow. The word of God continued to increase and spread and was multiplied. The political opportunists didn't, but the word of God did. And so here's a warning, isn't it? It must be very frustrating for any political leader who seeks to stand again against the purposes of God and who seeks to quell the forward motion of the gospel. It is God who multiplies. And no matter what these political leaders do, they will never vanquish the purposes of God. They cannot stamp out the church. The church will continue to grow. Very frustrating for them, but very reassuring for us. Chapter 19. Have a look at this group of religious frauds. Here they are, Jewish magicians. And they see that Paul does extraordinary signs God is doing through Paul. And so they think, if only we could get this power that Paul has. Now look at what they say in verse 13. Remember that this Luke, inspired by the Spirit, is a brilliant author. They would say, verse 13, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And look at what the evil spirit says in verse 15. He says, Jesus I know but Paul I know about, but who are you? So when these, politi- when these magicians and when the demons speak of Jesus, they just speak of Jesus. But notice that when Luke speaks of Jesus, look at verse 13, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 17, seized fear, they were seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus. Luke knows that Jesus is Lord. He's not just Jesus, some power. He is Lord. And they try and exercise the power of the Lord Jesus in just Jesus' name. Look at what happens in verse 16. The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And so when the church saw this, fear came upon them. And some of the believers also kept their magic scrolls. And so they took their magic scrolls out and they burnt them in the fire. The magic scrolls were in ashes. Verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Unstoppability. The the word is unstoppable. Imprisonment can't stop it. Theological dissension can't stop it. Local politicians can't stop it. Roman governors can't stop it. The emperor can't stop it. Shipwreck can't stop it. Storm can't stop it. It is unstoppable. That is the word. God will see his purposes triumph. The same word used on those three occasions, it increased, it enlarged. As David said last week, do you remember that moment when David said this, when in his sermon, When the Lord Jesus is on your side, it doesn't matter what isn't. When the Lord Jesus is on your side, it doesn't matter what isn't. And the Lord Jesus, ascended to the right hand of the Father, watches his word and will see that word reach the ends of the earth. Now, what is one of the characteristics of Luke's writing? Luke, usually, when he writes, uses last words well. So let's go right over to the back. And let's look at the very last word of the book of Acts. It's a wonderful last word. You can imagine Luke writing it out with his scroll, with his, uh, with his pen. And he says, verse 31, 
he proclaimed, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word is an adverb. An adverb qualifies a verb. It's an active word, unhinderedly. And then he puts down his quill and puts a full stop. Unhinderedly. In other words, I finished my account of what the, the ascended Jesus has done, but it doesn't finish here. The word goes on unhinderedly. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world so much that he gave the world his church who would take that message up and take it to the ends of the earth. Well, finally, before we leave our study of Acts, come with me to what I believe to be one of the great sections of Acts. Uh, chapter 18, page 1723. I love these verses. Uh, three verses. Uh, page 1723, Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11. Paul has come through uh, the second missionary journey in Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, Athens. He's had a really hard time. And remember that Paul is at retirement age. He's had a tough time. And he comes probably to the toughest city of them all, the darkest city of them all, Corinth. And God speaks to him. Look at verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he spoke. What did he say? Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I love that. I think we often think of the Apostle Paul as sort of a Marvel superhero. Uh, he just went and conquered and he always spoke up and he was never fearful. God doesn't speak unnecessarily. God knows that Paul needs to hear this. Paul, you are apt to be afraid. Don't be. Paul, you are apt to be silent. When you're in that coffee group, or wonder, you'll think, oh, what will they think of me if I talk about Jesus? We're so, we're so passive. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Now, there God tells Paul what, and there's never a what without a why, and the why follows in verse 10. For I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I've got people here who don't yet know me, but as you stay and teach and preach, I'll call them out and they will know me. Look at verse 11. It's a wonderful verse. So Paul stayed. There's only one other city he stayed longer than Corinth. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And as the word of God was taught, so God, who knew who his people were, was calling them out. He is the active, the sovereign evangelist. He sets up intersections. He has Philip meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Paul speaks and he opens Lydia's heart. He brought the Philippian jailer and family to Christ as they heard Paul and Silas give the gospel. He planted churches in all these places throughout Europe. He called Damaris and Dionysius to himself as they heard Paul preach the gospel. And now Paul comes to Rome and he's proclaiming the gospel unhinderedly. God uses the human preacher. God uses the planter. God uses the human messenger. And the human messenger says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation. The Holy Spirit is the agent. He calls us to Christ. And the instrument he uses is the gospel 
Steve Smith doesn't score a century without a bat. Nathan Cleary will not beat the Queenslanders tonight without a ball, will he? And notice this, that here is the certainty. The Holy Spirit brings people to life by using the gospel. That is his instrument. My father was not a Christian. He was 48 years of age. And he had a business partner who was a Christian who witnessed to my dad for 12 months. And then one day they were driving down Burwood Road and my father's business partner said to him, Bruce, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It all fell into place. The scales fell off. And that night I remember my father coming to my bedroom and telling me he'd become a Christian. I thought he was joking. But he'd come to light because the Spirit of God had used the gospel to bring him to light. Five years later, I was at a youth camp in Blackheath in the Blue Mountains. And I heard a preacher whose grandson is in this congregation. And he preached on Malachi. I'd never heard of Malachi before. And the scales fell off. God brings people to himself by his spirit, through his word. And that is the great encouragement for us from the book of Acts. As we leave Acts, we must never be in doubt what mission is. Mission is not creation care. Mission is not relief and welfare efforts. Mission is not character-building exercises in our church schools. It is not. They are all well and good. The word must be heard. The word must be preached. The word must be shared. The word must be read. It is the instrument, the word, which the Spirit uses to bring people to life. The Greek word for gospel is evangel. And the practice of evangelism is simply taking the evangel up and bringing it to people. And we must not be confused about that because the early church never was. We must not think that by sharing the fruit of the gospel, we are sharing the gospel itself. The gospel is the instrument that the Spirit uses and not the fruit of the gospel. So we must keep at it, keep sharing the gospel, keep looking for that conversation. Do not sit there and wonder, Start up a conversation in that coffee shop, in that queue. Start the conversation. You never know where it will lead. It won't lead anywhere if you don't start it. God is the active evangelist. Let me tell you about a man that Maxine and I met when we went to Bangladesh. He was an American surgeon. He was 76 years of age when we met him. He was at the Lamb Hospital, a Christian hospital in the northwest of Bangladesh, and people were coming there again and again because they knew they would get care there. And this man said he should be back in the United States retired, but there was no one else to uh, conduct the operations. And so he was doing humanitarian work. He was mending bodies, but he was frustrated in that he wasn't mending souls. He just didn't have time to share the gospel and make healthy souls. So he employed six chaplains just to do the evangelism. And every week he would spend one hour with each chaplain, that is six hours every week, and they would just sit down and he'd say, tell me the story. Tell me how you've shared the gospel and tell me the story. And this week I was at a church school council meeting and we had one of the chaplains from the prep school come in and I said, tell me a story. And he told, I had to stop him at three. 
He didn't tell me one, he told me two, he told me three. Boys who are antagonism when they hear of God's love and the gospel presented to them. I stopped him at three. Tell me a story. I'm saved to serve. I'm saved through the gospel to serve the gospel. Do we pray about this? Does this affect our budget? Do we live and breathe this? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Dremoyne, in Sydney, in the state, in the country, in Thailand, in Germany and to the ends of the earth. Unhinderedly, I have many people in this city. And here's the lovely verse. And Paul stayed a year and a half teaching the word of God. Well, let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have received the Holy Spirit because of all that he has done, and he empowers us to witness. Thank you that as we witness our Heavenly Father, it's not our gift of the gab, but the power resides in your gospel. And we pray that just as our experience was that you opened blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears so that you might do it more and more in our spheres of influence. And all glory, Lord Christ, to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.